Today's Bible reading is from the book of Habakkuk, chapter three. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, on Shugornoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Median in anguish. Were you angry with the river, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode the horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, and called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept, swept by the deep roared, and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens, at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you thrashed the nations. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, turning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us, though the fig trees does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the director of music, on my stringed instruments, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm praying and I'm ready for reading. If you have a Bible, um, can I invite you to keep it open to Habakkuk 3 as we go through the text? And I pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you that you are a great God. And we pray that we'll be able to remember. You will speak to us and you will share our vision that we might see you clearly. That we might remember what you have done and who you are. That we might see the world differently. Increase our faith and increase our joy in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And an essay called God in the Dock. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, The ancient man approached God, even God, as the accused person approached his judge. For the modern man, the role of the reverse, he is the judge. 
God is in the God. He is quite a kindly judge. If God could have reasonable defense for being a God who permits war, poverty, and disease, he's ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal. But the important thing is that the man is on the bench and God is on the dock. Did you hear that? A long time ago, when people imagined God, they approached God with fear and trembling as, uh, as servants, as people who were unworthy of God's presence. But even 70 years ago, when Lucius Lewis penned this essay, he sang that people related to God differently. No longer is uh, no longer is God this great God the Judge. Um, no longer is God the great Judge uh, that we approach, but He is on the bench. He is uh, at the place of the accused, and we uh, 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 we then try God. We ask God, "How could you do this? How could you do all these things?" We uh, we ask. If we, uh, if God meets our ethical standards, <laughs> if we can understand who uh, what He's done, and it's not all bad. Habakkuk is praying this sort of prayer, asking God uh, for answers, kind of like this, right? God, why uh, have you done this? In chapters one and two, God spoke, and when He did, it's like Habakkuk sort of blurred vision of who God is, now it's sharpened and cleared. He sees God clearly, and when he sees God clearly, he sees the world clearly. He sees his situation clearly, and his faith is in God in Christ, and he's able to rejoice in the midst of all that suffering, all that injustice and evil that he sees around him. Great God, great faith, and great joy. I wonder how big is your God. A reason why Habakkuk is angry at God is because he thinks that God should be understandable. What he's doing should be understandable to him. That God should make sense to him. And he couldn't understand the violence and strife and injustice in Israel. And God's answer, when he asked, God's answer made him even more angry, even less understanding of God. And so Habakkuk demanded an answer from God at the end of chapter 1. And in chapter 2, God spoke. And he said that uh, in chapter 2, that Babylonians, these evil people whom God will use as agents of injustice, well, they too will be just. But they will not get their way. They will not be the final say. But God will judge them. And that won't be the end of that. God was working on this plan to work through all of it, to bring salvation and God's righteousness, not just in Israel, but over the whole world. The whole earth will be filled with God's glory as the waters cover the sea. That was the plan. And do you know people who think sort of in a different scale than you? I imagine something like an engineer at Tesla working, right? He's working uh, to improve uh, the battery a little bit. He, he, this is the most important thing in his mind, and he asks questions about it. He's working hard about it. But CEO of that company, Elon Musk, is thinking about changing the whole world, changing every appliance to how the thing, how, how cars and homes and all these things work. He's working on transforming the world, and kind of like that. But Habakkuk is asking questions about injustice in Israel, violence in Israel, and God says, "No, wait, I'm working on that. I'm also working." on 
transforming the whole world so that the world, the earth, will not have any evil, any suffering, any injustice, any violence. I'm working on bringing that world. That is me. That's what I am doing. Habakkuk can finally see God is clearly in chapter 3. He's reminded of God's greatness, his plan, his past salvation. He, he, he sees uh, what God is saying in chapter 2 about the future salvation. And he comes to trust in God in the present day. And so, as he prays in chapter 3, he recalls the past. Uh, what happened when God appeared? How God saved Israel from the, in, in the past. For example, in verse 3, he recalls how God came from Timon, Mount Paran, uh, where uh, Mount Sinai, uh, Sinai Peninsula is. Habakkuk is recalling the Exodus event, the salvation event for the Israelites. He recalls in verse 5 the plague and pestilence, which were often weapons in the Old Testament that God used to punish the evildoers. When God came, when God came down to earth, He couldn't just let evil beings um, uh, uh, be. Uh, he came and, and, and Egyptians tasted God's judgment. That's what God does. God brings His judgment upon evil people and Egyptians tasted God's judgment. Verse 6. Is a picture of a time in Sinai when God showed up. God showed up in Mount Sinai as if the eternity, as if the earth couldn't handle the weight of God's glory. The mountains tremble, the things, uh, there's smoke and clouds everywhere. It cannot handle God's glory. He stood and shook the earth. Ancient mountains crumbled. Verse 8. Recalls the parting of the Red Sea or the, uh, the, the River Jordan as God's people crossed it and how he swallowed God's enemies. Verse 11 is a picture of, uh, uh, of the battle of God. When the sun stood still, <laughs> when the universe stood still, uh, as God uh, brought down judgment upon evil people. Which I wonder how you see these pictures, how you imagine these pictures. For me, they're almost sort of cartoonish. They're cartoonish. A few years back, though, uh, there was, remember, uh, T10 in Hong Kong. I think it was the first T10 in a long time. I was unwisely here in the fish office. And because it was such a spectacular thing, I, I was uh, watching uh, the, 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 the place. I was watching the moon uh, around me, right by the window. And as I was watching, this is what happened. This big board, wooden board, came up in a swirl of wind, and as I was wa- watching, it came all the way up to the eighth floor and hit the window, and it was frightening. It, it, it really scared me stiff. It was a little thing like that that really made me scared. But Habakkuk is seeing God appear. He's remembering God's judgment. And this isn't a cartoon. So his reaction, it's understandable. He, he, he trembled, verse 16. My heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. He gave crept into my bones, and my legs uh, 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 trembled. He sees God clearly now. He's no longer sitting at the dock waiting for trial. He's this God, glorious God, 
whose weight the earth cannot handle, whose judgment and righteousness bring down God's wrath upon the evil doers. And this is in direct comparison to the idolatry, idols that we see in chapter 2. The idols of Babylonian. These idols were made and painted by human hands. The idols are actually understandable. People can understand these idols because, well, they made them. Right? And they make them in their own image in a way that they could understand. <laughs> Funny thing is, people worship these idols. They ask these idols to do things for them. But there comes a time when actually idols cannot answer these questions because, well, life is bigger than these idols. The questions are there are bigger than these idols. And what happens? What happens to these idols? Well, when we can't understand them, well, we take them away. We take them away. We just throw them away. We walk away from these idols when we don't understand them. Well, we can do that because these idols are small. Because they're just idols. Now, at the end of chapter 2, you heard these words. Our God is not an idol. The Lord is, is, is in His holy temple. A temple. Let all the earth be silent. This is God of the universe. God who is much greater than we can imagine, much holier, more righteous, more just than we can ever imagine. I wonder how you see God. When you imagine Jesus, how do you see Jesus? And this is a very important question for us to ask when we actually don't understand things in this, in this world. Who's ruling over this world? Someone you can understand? Somebody who you can control? Or is it God? God of the Bible. Jesus. Habakkuk. When he saw God clearly, uh, he saw his world and his situation differently. He could live by faith. He could live uh, patiently. So with his legs still trembling, he spoke, I will wait for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. The word, um, that's the next slide. The word, uh, the uh, patient, waiting patiently in Hebrew, it, 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 it means to, uh, uh, to rest deeply. The situation had not changed, right? The injustice and violence of the chapter, uh, chapter 1, is still there. He now also understands that the Babylonians will come and they will do things that he couldn't, he can't understand. They will raise the city of Jerusalem. They will uh, take things out of the temple and destroy it. They will kill people. They will forcibly remove people from Israel to Babylon. And yet, and yet, because Habakkuk now sees the greatness of God, Habakkuk is confident in, in God's salvation of the past. And, and he remembers what then God promised to do in the future. He said, He can wait patiently for the day of calamity to come. And we're called to the patiently too. And we have to, because the Babylonians, they weren't the end. After the Babylonians came the Persians. After the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans, and they did terrible things to God's people. And the Messiah came, Jesus came. And you think, wow, the things would be very different. Actually, but Jesus came, and he suffered, and he died. He rose again, 
making that mercy that he cries out for in, 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 in uh, verse 1, a possible, but he also tells us to be patient. The New Testament tells us to be patient. For example, in James 5, 7, be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the Lord, uh, land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring Right. We have to wait patiently for the Lord's coming, and that was 2,000 years ago, and we still need to wait patiently now because of the injustice around the world. God will deal with us and not fight yet. I want to repeat what Neil um, said in his excellent sermon last week. So if you haven't listened to it, please uh, do go back and listen to it. But I want to repeat one of his points, which is that actually living patiently, living by faith, doesn't mean that we don't do anything here and now. For most, in most uh, situations, Habakkuk has to wait because he really couldn't do anything. This is at a time of Israel when Israelites were so evil, where the land was so evil, that actually God was going to come and judge God's own people. That's how evil they were. Remember the sermon on Ezekiel from Ezekiel? It, it talks about the evilness of Israelites. They ignored not just Ezekiel, Isaiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, and other prophets. It was just falling on deaf ears. It was only, Habakkuk was in a situation where only God can deal with the injustice and violence that filled Israel. That's why he has to wait. But friends, if you see evil in front of you, in front of us. But well, we need to do something about it, right? If we see somebody being bullied, somebody being mugged, well, we'll go and try to stop them. Right? We won't just say, oh, wait for the Lord to help you. That's not what we're saying. The evil around us, we need to do something about it. We need to say, no, stop. If we can't, if that doesn't do anything, we need to at least warn them that God will come and judge them. But even after doing all the things that we can do, Wow, the evil around this world, there's too much. We can fix this, the entire society and how they work. That's the whole thing. But we will, we will have to wait. We have to wait knowing that God knows all of these little things and He will make them, He will keep them accountable. I know that we're impatient and we want God to do things now. But I also want to say that God also does intervene in the world, in our life. I'm sure you have to testimonies of life that where God intervenes, made things right, or helps you. I mean, we hear testimonies, we hear uh, occasional uh, testimonies of even miracles where God inter- uh, intervenes. But Habakkuk, and I'm sure many of us are asking, when we see great evil in this, in Hong Kong or around the world, we're saying, God, why, why aren't you doing something more drastic? Why don't you uh, act in, in, a, in a very clear way? And what we heard in chapter 2 is that He will. He will. But that day will be the end of the world. Yes, we're going to we put it this way. In New York Eternity, why is God landing this enemy-occupied world in disguise and starting a sort of a secret society to undermine the evil? Uh, undermine the devil? Why is he not landing in force, invading it? 
But I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it would be like when He does. When that happens, patiently. And yes, yes, I will wait patiently for the days of calamity. But such patient waiting does not have to be puffing it out or just hanging, hanging in there. Even waiting in the midst of terrible calamity, we can be joyful. Take a look at verse 17, the verse of uh, 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 James and Glennis read uh, for us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fail, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. Oh, these are agricultural days, right? Um, and these days, agricultural science is so, so advanced that when crops fail, it could be just as much of a farmer's fault um, these days. But back then, they had no control. They did some things, but they really relied on God. So they trusted God to make the fig trees blossom. Right? There are grapes on the vine to come, all of these uh, to, to blossom. If God was the one who uh, made the, the cattle, uh, um, uh, uh, sheep and cattle uh, multiply, you see what Habakkuk is saying here. Habakkuk isn't just saying, I will trust in, in you when things are bad. He's saying, I will trust in you when I see that you are doing something that I don't quite understand, that makes me go hungry, that makes me go through all these things. Even if it's you doing it, I will trust in you, and I will trust in your salvation, because you are ultimately my Savior. That's what he's saying. Verse 18. I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. Because of what He's seen. Because of who God is. Because we've seen God's salvation in the past. He holds on to the promise that God will deliver in the future. Yes, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. And this is Joy, this joy is not instead of the suffering. It's not instead of, of, of the sadness or the loss. It's right in the middle of it. In fact, we might know this joy even more clearly because of the suffering, because of the loss, because of the pandemic that we're going through, because of the grief that we feel over this world. Because when everything is going well, we rejoice in everything else, but in the Lord. But when things are bad, Actually, we do, uh, we sometimes are forced to go to God in the most intimate and, and intense way. When we are in the hospital, we can't call anyone anymore. When we feel misunderstood by everything, every, everybody else, and we feel so lonely, where uh, we just lost everything, that's often when we go to God and we know the joy in the Lord. And I do that sense of assurance that God is with us. It might be that one thing in the remembering, the hope that's rising within us and saying, actually, this will end. God will bring me to the new creation when this will all end. And we remember that great salvation, not just in the past, but the future one that is coming. And some of you, I know, have experienced this sort of joy in the midst of pandemic. Because you have been forced to go to God more and more. But this, this joy 
and say, this is automatic. It's a shotgun and pain also drives people away from God. I know plenty of people who've walked away because of their suffering from God. It's not automatic. This sort of joy comes with discipline. Discipline. Discipline, for example, of remembering what we've been doing. Remembering the greatness of our God. Remembering the past salvation and the future promise. That's why the Bible reading is so important. You can be reminded some of the greatness of God when you're out on a, on a walk um, in Taiping or something. Actually, when we read the Bible, we see what God has done. In the past, we see His future salvation. I mean, uh, the kids, uh, they're going through Joseph's story, and we see that right now, right? God's uh, salvation in the past and the future. Greatness of God. We see it in Scripture. That's why it's so important to keep on reading, keep on being, uh, keep, being uh, keep on remembering who God is. But it also comes in praying. Habakkuk. Remember, the chapter one, it started with a prayer. How long, God? That's a prayer. Chapter three is a prayer. Habakkuk experienced all of this because he went to God in prayer. I was at the divinity school when there was a moment where I was just overwhelmed by something. It was a I don't know if you remember, there was a, a Korean American guy in Virginia Tech, um, which is a, a, a Virginia as well, the, the, a state where I grew up. He went and shot many, many people. And it was all over the news, and I, my heart was just, it was, I was grieving. I was mourning for the people who died. I was mourning because of yeah, the Korean community um, in the U.S. were all mourning. I just was overwhelmed. We were talking like the people about it. It was in the news, it was everywhere. And then, I want to God in prayer. I remember just being overwhelmed, and I remember sobbing going to God. And it was, I wasn't sobbing just because it was sort of a catharsis, you know, emptying my heart to God. I was sobbing because I, as I approached the throne of grace, I saw God in control. I saw God who was greater than um, what the world was going through. I saw God who was still gracious, who was giving himself to the world. So, come through the discipline of prayer. Friend, are you praying? Are you remembering? Are you praying? But if you're paying attention, the prayer isn't just a private prayer. Chapter 3 isn't a private prayer. It's part of public worship. We saw the hint of that in verse 1, right? On Tidionot. It's some sort of musical notation. Nobody really knows exactly. Verse 3, the Hebrew word Selah is there. This might be a suggestion of a time of meditation on the greatness of God. And you saw it at the end of verse 19, for the director of music, it says. You see, this chapter 3, even though it's Habakkuk's private prayer, is recorded now as to be sung as part of public worship. Joy comes in worshiping with others. When you're overwhelmed and grieved by the state of the world, all the things that are going on in your own personal circumstances, don't remain alone. Worship with others. Sing with others. Remember who God is with others. Lean on others' faith and their testimonies, uh, their prayers. And as we worship God, that joy comes. And we are to also persevere and repeat these things again and again and again. 
it comes in the midst of a repetition. After all, this is a psalm, sung again and again in a part of the public worship. And it's not just Habakkuk 3, right? Job is there. The Lamentation uh, Psalms are there. Uh, we are to repeat these things. The Bible is there. We are to repeat it again and again and again. Joy comes in the midst of discipline of repeating, persevering, remembering together. Have you seen a ghost or deer that is climbing the heights, top of the mountain? Well, climbing like this isn't such an easy thing. But if we truly rest on God, and we see God as sovereign Lord, this title actually is used outside of um, uh, Psalms, which is the only, uh, only other place in the Old Testament when this title, Sovereign Lord, is used. It, it, it emphasizes God's might, God's power. If we really see God for who He is, and if we rely on His strength, no matter where we're going, our footing will be sure. We can rest on His sure footing, no matter what the circumstance around us is. And that height, the top of the mountain, it's a place of safety for sure. But it's a place also in the Old Testament as people went to up to the mountain to meet God. This is also a presence in the place of the presence of God. And when we are with God, no matter how hard the life is, no matter how a difficult life is to understand, we'll be able to be with this great God, have faith and trust in and wait patiently to have that joy, that joy that comes with us. Let's pray for that for ourselves and for all those we trust in Jesus' name. Lord, you are indeed a great God. Lord, renew our vision of you. Help us to see that you are trustworthy, that you are bigger than what we can imagine, that your goodness is beyond our imagination, your righteousness and wisdom will go far beyond our imagination. And Lord, when we see you clearly, and increase our faith, Help us to trust you and wait for you and to rejoice in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.